Universal People. I'm John Munitz. I'm Jackie Sawicki, and welcome to the People's Podcast on the People's Basics. Today we're discussing small business, but before we get into the show, John, want to tell the listeners how they can join the home of the Universal Basics? Sure, Jackie. So first, we would love for you all to subscribe to our network so that you get all of our content. And then we'd like you to check out the description section so that you can find our links to be able to get to our website and our community's Discord and so much more. Uh, so we really do need your help in organizing for the Universal Basics. So if you like what you hear today, we hope you'll decide to get involved. So, Jackie, what do you want to discuss first about small business? Well, let's first talk about who and what small business is. Um, small business in America is 59 million employees, uh, and the small business is defined by 500 employee, employees or less. Um, 30 million small businesses are in America, and 99% of private sector employees are um, small business, 500 or less. Yeah, and to add on to that, like the definition being at 500 has always been something that, to me, as well as some of our past guests who have spoken on small business, like Lloyd Chapman, has always been a confusing number to use. Because as you said, 99.7% of private sector employees work at small businesses, meaning they work for companies that have 500 employees or less. But when you start breaking this down, 98.1% of private sector employees work for companies that employ less than 100 people. And 78.4% of people work for companies that employ less than 10 people. So sometimes I feel that definition of 500 employees is a bit too generous for what constitutes small business. Um, but in yeah, 2019, I don't think most people think 500 when they think business. Yeah, I, I highly doubt that uh, people thought that. And so, you know, I, I have to wonder, like, why we do this other than as I cover in my article on the people's basics. It's largely so they can shirk some of their responsibilities in trying to actually assist the true small businesses when they do their own procurement processes. Um, but to talk about a little bit of like who small businesses are, uh, we should be looking towards some of the demographics that surround it. Very commonly in America, uh, we are seeing cases where both men and white people are predominantly the individuals who are starting small businesses. There is a variety of reasons that I'd be happy to discuss and hear your opinions on of why that dynamic occurs. But to give you the specific numbers, 19.8% 19 of businesses are women-led, and 18.3% of businesses are minority-led. And of that women statistic of 19.8%, 82.8% of those women are white women, too. And so, Jackie, I wanted to ask you, why do you think this dynamic has occurred where predominantly white people as well as men are the predominant um, individuals leading small businesses? It goes back, I would say, even further than just a couple generations. Uh, the founding of this country, women weren't allowed to own land. Um, minorities weren't allowed to own man uh, land. It was white men that were allowed to, to own land and 
have businesses and, you know, it's easier to get into it now in the 21st century, but it's still on this, you know, statistic looks like 80% of small businesses are still led by men. Um, so part of it is, you know, women not having the freedom to be able to start businesses. Um, there's a discrimination against women and people of color for getting loans, business loans. It's really hard to get to get money, taxes, bureaucracy, licensing, all that stuff is just a, a really big hindrance. And um, it's easier for some people to navigate because they have networks, because they have generational wealth and are seen as more viable um, to invest in. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot there. There's three. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I highly agree with you that a big contributing factor that makes this disparity as large as it is, is some structural inequalities that has produced such a high wealth inequality between white people and groups of other races, as well as men versus women. But I would also say that there is some tendencies for just risk taking that men do take very often. Uh, there was a quote by Ethan Mollick, who is a management professor at University of Pennsylvania's Wharton uh, Business School, that attributes the rate partially to just an overconfidence that men have, a willingness to take risks that we've seen in a variety of psychological studies from us having a higher rate of smoking, gambling, violence, these general risk factors that men generally exhibit more often leads them to sometimes take the risk to start a small business as well. but you're highly right that a lot of it is cultural dynamics of what we've been encouraged in men taking more risks versus women and structural inequalities that have led to pay gaps. When you think about like general causes of concern for small businesses, it's a lot of the time starting capital. And as you pointed out, for certain groups of people, access to that capital and loans from the banks has been historically rooted in some level of discrimination. So it, it's hard to attribute how much of it is this risk factor, but it is definitely a factor that a large amount of people attribute. But the notion that it's because men are better at it is not true and is unfounded. Right. We have seen very often, in fact, the inverse of that dynamic, where we've seen women tend to be performing better. Uh, we've seen recently as a uh, rate of women being able to say that they were planning to hire more employees. 56% of women surveyed said that they were planning to be able to hire more employees compared to 50% of men. And as well, they found that it was, again, a dynamic when they were expecting growth rates as well, that more women were expecting higher growth rates for the upcoming year than men were as well. And they found that there were certain traits that, you know, made them better um, at being able to perform entrepreneurial roles. Uh, such as women more often consider multitasking to be a strength that they have, which is a very important skill when you're trying to run a small business. Uh, and this is compared to 40 percent of men who said that that's a strength for themselves. Um, and likewise, they also are listed higher when it comes to like traits like creativity and empathy, which are also key character traits for having um, good management. Uh, so yeah, I emotional think intelligence. the only factor that men have as an advantage is more often they list themselves as being more confident. And right. so I think a large part of this is we have to bolster women's confidence to take these risks. 
Yeah. And we buy, uh, we buy that confidence too. So like if someone comes in the room with swagger, we, you know, we kind of like instantly are like, okay, who's this guy, you know? And so we got, even if they're bullshitting themselves and us. So yeah, we need to like learn how to kind of channel that, that confidence. I, I don't have a problem with that <laughs> personally, yeah. uh, but you know, I used <laughs> I know to be, you don't. <laughs> I would say I used to be a doormat. So it is definitely something, a skill that can be acquired. Um, if you are a wallflower and you don't have to completely alter your, your whole personality or anything, but you do just, you know, if you are working hard and you, and you know that you're doing just as good of a job as anyone else own it, you know? So, um, and, and women yeah. can be small business owners. People of color are doing like really innovative stuff in small business and social media. So we just, it, it's a, it, there's been so many roadblocks for so long that once we start getting parity and like we there's equal footing which we're still not there let's be honest um there's still a lot of roadblocks but you know we we're gonna take off and and that's starting to like show in the data yeah and i highly agree with you there but let's talk a little bit about what is really the risk behind small business why why does it seem such a risky thing for certain people to try and take on. Um, part of it is that most small businesses in their lifetime do fail. Um, and to define what failure really means, uh, it's essentially saying if a business is no longer existing, it's counted as a failure. Uh, there can be valid reasons for it, like, you know, an owner might retire or something or transition it, but it's kind of hard to count this as a, a failure. So it's really just not a retirement. It's just the business no longer being in existence. And so when you look at that definition, how many people fail within the first year, 20% of businesses fail within the second year, 30% of businesses fail within the fifth year, 50% of businesses fail by the 10th year, 70% of businesses fail. And in small businesses' total lifetime, 90% of small businesses fail. And so if you think about that, when you have a 90% likelihood of a failure in the total lifetime and potentially a 20% within the first year even, a lot of times people don't want to have to put in all this money as an investment to start something that is potentially going to fail. It might have high upside. Uh, but it also comes with the risk that you take all this money that you have hopefully saved up from working and aren't getting necessarily a, a home or being able to pay off a mortgage or going on a vacation or getting a new car. You're trying to build something that can hopefully produce more for you in the future. And for a lot of people, that can seem intimidating. Um, and there's it's a, a lot, lot of hurdles that make it very difficult for people to kind of navigate the the just formation process to kind of get themselves off the ground uh, that is really difficult. And then we talked about this idea of getting access to capital, which is so important. Uh, and there has been some levels of discrimination that certain people will be like, oh, I'm not going to be able to get a loan or, oh, I don't want to take on this uh, debt that I might have to go into bankruptcy because of. Uh, and so a lot of people end up not taking the risk. Um, but let me ask you, Jackie. Why is small business 
so important. Um, we've, we've really have to have a sense of why do we need to continue to have new businesses start and come into existence compared to just having these large businesses continue to expand into more and more fields. Uh, why is small business so important in your opinion? Well, number one, it's local business. Most of the time when we're talking about small businesses, we're talking about mom and pops that are in your neighborhood, in your town. Um, and so that's creating 64% of net new jobs. And they're, they're real, real jobs. They're not yeah. like fake and that jobs that are just going to go away too. overnight. Because like we've had that as an officially reported number, but we had our guest on our, the program the other day and Lloyd Chapman say that basically 99% of net new jobs mm -hmm. were from small businesses. So there is some fudging with the numbers here and there um, that can yeah. occur, but the officially reported number is that 64%. Um, but continue on. I, I just yeah, and fifty, as we it. said at the beginning, fifty-nine million Americans are are employed with small businesses, um, and and the data, the revenue is uh, like if it's ninety-nine percent of jobs, then it's going to be most of the revenue. <laughs> Uh, you'd, you'd be a bit surprised by that. I, well, because when we're talking, so when we're we're talking about small business, what's the opposite of small business? We're talking about giant corporations large and corporations. and the government as well. So they're a large employer, correct? Well, the numbers that we cited were of private sector employment, so it's not mm. counting the government. But the groups that has been left out is the large corporations, and I mean part of what for me makes it so clear why small businesses are important is kind of their correlation with just general societal economic inequality. Um, we saw that from the 1970s that new business formation has dropped nearly in half. And in that same time period, we've seen wealth inequality go from basically the top 1% owning 10% of the wealth to going to roughly 35% of the wealth today. Um, and so it, it kind of makes sense if you think about why this kind of occurs. If large corporations stop having as much competition level, uh, they feel less pressure to have to compete on labor compensation. And so if you think about it in the same time period, like actually let's let's give numbers from 1989 because that's what we got in front of us. In 1989, the CEO to median worker pay rate was 61 to 1. But in 2020, that ratio is now 320 to 1. And this is because they just don't have a lot of competition. Where are you going to go if less businesses are forming and staying in business over time? Because these large businesses are just destroying the marketplace for them and sucking up all the business and not paying their fair share in taxes. Then, well, you have less pressure to need to compensate your employees well. Um on top of that, we've had certain then, studies that basically say that this is depressing wages overall and costing Americans roughly $5,000 every year. Well, and not to mention that we're subsidizing these employers by because a lot of these employees don't get enough. Um, so they're on assistance like SNAP and TANF. So there's, you know, article after article about Walmart employees who have to be on, you know, assistance because they don't make enough 
especially like you know they don't want to give them full-time hours so, so they don't get benefits and it's you know there's what nowhere in the country can minimum wage pay for like a an apartment that kind of thing the we are seeing the ramifications of this depression of wages like in real time right now so let me ask you the question then for small businesses like part of what is needed for them to be able to thrive is having employees and we've talked about how most employees do work for these small businesses so why do you think more people end up choosing to try to work at small businesses than large businesses? What, what are the benefits that you see of trying to work at a small business? Like, for instance, the People's Basics is a small business. What, what makes this type of an environment more conducive um, for a lot of the people who want to work? Well, I mean, you're not just a cog to begin with it's a feeling you feel a little more at home or like it is more familial uh, if it's a you know if it's a non-toxic work place which the people's basics is so you right then you don't feel so i think you use the word isolated which is true like you can work in a giant corporation and feel like no one hears you or gives a damn and, um even if you have a really good idea and so you know, in a small business, you you can take those ideas and you can express them more way easier. Um, so that would be like the more you have more visibility in the team. Um, you can in small businesses, a lot of times you're going to wear more than one hat. And I, I know that from experience, um, just learning all, the, all kinds of different positions in a small business because they they might need more help. Um, Again, with that like familial thing, you might have a little more flexibility um, because people are a little more understanding of your personal circumstances rather than a corporation just having the rules and that's that. Um, so you you might be able to work some things out like this whole hybrid thing. You know, I'm really curious to see how small businesses versus large corporations are um, going to handle this work from home in the office thing, especially with Delta. Uh, I mean, yeah. So, and then, yeah. um, I mean, a lot of times we have friends at work. It, this is true. Well, one thing I was thinking about as well is that generally you can kind of more often than not have an opportunity to get some ownership in the business. Um, and mm -hmm. you're, as you said before, each individual employee is, is more important. You have fewer of them. So if you mm -hmm. are a company, that has let's let's talk like the people's basics we have 21 people it, I'll, I'll simplify it to 20 for some easy math but if we lost one person that's like losing five percent of our workforce now if i was at my old job at ibm where they had 400,000 employees losing one person that's a minute amount that's yeah uh, what, what, what would that be one divided by 400,000 i'm gonna do the quick math here in front of me uh that's What's that? That's 0.0025% of their workforce. And so you become just yeah, way more replaceable. And because yeah. you are way more replaceable, this gives you far less negotiating power and yep. say over how the company runs. Uh, because they are like, oh, if you don't want to go with the program, mm -hmm. okay, we'll, we'll find someone else. And likewise, it also makes it just 
harder to like move fast in a way where it's like sometimes if you have a good idea at a small business, you can just kind of go do it. Um, mm -hmm. While at a lot of these larger businesses, you're going to have this very large hierarchy and chain of command where you have to run an idea up through managers on managers on managers before you can start executing on it. So there's, as you said before, that like level of flexibility, not just in work-life balance, but just at work. Um, you kind of have a little bit more ownership over your areas uh, because of it. Um, so mm -hmm. those are some of the things that I think of. And, and this is not to say that there are not any benefits of working right. at large businesses. And this is part of the challenge that some small businesses face is yeah. it's sometimes harder to attract um employees because they don't have as much money and so they can't offer as good compensation packages whether that's the types of benefits to make sure you have quality health care and paid leave and all that or if it's just general wages it's sometimes hard to offer more when you don't have more um and, and there's a little bit of an unknown culture yeah, I, this right here, this point is why we need Medicare for all or socialized medicine or however you want to say it, because that would be one of the, the single biggest factors to alleviating small business pressures if they didn't have to worry about insuring, which I think um, the ACA has helped with that. But I think that there's still, I, I don't know the rules, I'm not going to say, but um, it's, it's, you have to start providing it after 50 employees. 50 employees. Well, so that's still under the small business. So even a hundred people is still having to, I mean, it is an incredible burden to insure people. It's insane that we're still doing this. I'm sorry. Yes. No, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And on so we're pretty much that, penalizing small businesses because large businesses can, can, um, negotiate. They have way more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Flexibility. In, in payments and stuff, I mean, they can get deep, deep discounts with those big numbers, whereas small businesses are just just raked over the coals. Yeah, I 100% I agree with you. And I would say one additional policy that's um, a little bit, I guess, not specific to small business, it's a bit more universal, but would still have a tremendous benefit for small business is something that we talked about when we were covering childcare in previous months. Having simply paid leave policies would be a big deal for small businesses, because yes. if you think about it, having to there are a higher percentage of your total uh, budget, essentially, as we said, each employee matters more for your organization. And so when you have someone who needs to take leave, that's a bigger percentage of your labor budget that's that's leaving you. And you don't have necessarily, as I said before, as much cash on hand or just total assets to support being able to provide that type of a benefit. Yep. And so if you made these benefits federal and you had some level of sponsorship that's supporting it, um, you're going to basically have a system that's more fair and is easier to employ people at, at the small business level because they're like, oh, I don't feel like I have to go work for this major conglomerate just so I get health care and can leave if I have a kid or not. I can yeah. work for a company where I can maybe get some ownership in it and have some flexibility and get to actually work in a healthy, more fun environment, basically. Um, so I, I think that is a big thing as well. Um, and I think generally, like the notion of why some people even decide to come into just entrepreneurship in general, like 
it being working at a small business very often just is a natural transition into being an entrepreneur. You mm -hmm. can very quickly rise up in those companies and have ownership and try to make those companies grow because it'll benefit yourself and you gain that upside. As an entrepreneur, you'll then gain some level of independence where you're not having as much bosses that you have to report to. Um, you can basically put more of your creative flair and passion into the work and set the direction of where the company is going. Uh, you could help build legacies and have something that you can basically pass on to generations, whether that's to your family or just the society knowing that you were a major contributor to it. Um, and real quick, a, as a we're talking about... As we're talking about entrepreneurship, we'll talk about another, um, you know, advocacy that we are, you know, really strongly support, and that is universal basic income. So if we had UBI, we could, there would be so many more opportunities for entrepreneurship and, and new small businesses and, and existing small businesses to hire more, to expand. So that's another thing that and it's almost like our government is anti small business and anti like middle class. I don't even like using middle class, like just anti people like they're pro 1% essentially. And like anti 99% because like everything they're do that we, it's just like, so it's so hard for the average person to get ahead. And we're just like, giving billions hand over fist to large corporations and they don't even need it. They literally do not need it. And we're still giving them so much subsidies and tax breaks and uh, emergency money now, you know? Yeah. And I mean, to just add on to your points about universal basic income being a big support for small businesses, it makes it so that people can kind of stay like afloat in their personal finances as an entrepreneur in that first year, you're putting all mm -hmm. this money into your business and you're very often in the first few years of business, not really making all that much in cash flow. You're, you're right. just starting up very often and you'll maybe five to 10 years down the road, start hitting what your peaks can achieve. But in those first few years, you're laying out a lot of money and you're not making a lot of money back. And so some of your general expenses might be lacking where a universal basic income can come in and kind of keep you afloat. But on top of that, I look to what the general amount of starting capital that most people have when they try to start a small business. And 84% of people start with $10,000 or less. And so I think about it this way. If I simply wanted to be a small business owner and we had, let's say, an $1,000 UBI like was advocated by Andrew Yang or let's say even a $1,200 basic income advocated by like an Ilhan Omar in the Support Act. Well, at that point, if I simply basically use my basic income for savings totally, after one year, I've had enough savings to start a new small business. Two years and I'm doubling that amount and I'm starting to not need maybe as much loans because you're going to have to take on a large amount of loans on average to start a new business. Like the average loan given out by banks to small businesses is around $630,000. Um, and if you go to the Small Business Association, maybe you can get $100,000 in total. Um, and so from that, if you can have more savings yourself that you've built up from a universal basic income, 
you're going to become a little bit less reliant on needing to take these loans from the banks and having more interest payments that you're going to have to make as a small business. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in my opinion, universal basic income in conjunction with Medicare for all and paid leave are probably the, the universal policies that would have the biggest impact on small business. And, and there are certainly things that could be done specifically for small business, which is something that we had talked a lot about in our most recent article that we put out on small business, as well as in our past interview with Lloyd Chapman, the head of the American Small Business League. We talked about this thing called the Small Business Act. Um, Jackie, do you want to give a little bit of information on what the Small Business Act kind of entails? Yeah, the Small Business Act is the most important legislation you never heard of. So the Small Business Act was passed in, I think it was 53, is that correct? Um, And it dictates that 23% of the... 53, uh, 23% of American government procurement um, contracts need to be with small businesses. Lloyd Chapman calls it the biggest, um, what, what, what was the word, economic like boon to the economy if it was actually hit. Um, instead, the actual is 3%. So small business administration reduction in funding um, is a big from, reason. Yeah, you know, I don't it's know basically what, been gutted. Yeah, so wow. they they've cut they've cut, and this is so where you know like they, there's a great book called, Trump. Yeah, I mean, look, Trump Trump bragged about rolling back more regulations than any other president one or two terms. That is such a chilling statistic that he bragged about, that he was incredibly proud of. And this is the kind of thing that we're talking about. We're talking about meat inspection. We're talking about um, funding for important departments that like literally impact us on a day-to-day basis. And what they do is they, they defend, they, they defund, they defang, they deregulate and and big businesses just keep getting bigger and bigger, and there's less oversight. There's less, um, what's the word? Where there accountability? I mean, there is no accountability. So this rule, um, and which you just got to watch that interview with Lloyd Chapman. It was incredible. But um, if we actually fulfilled this 23% rule, it would create hundreds of thousands of new jobs. And for free, it would be a total boon to the economy. And instead, as I said earlier, the government is just giving big businesses and multinational conglomerates just billions and billions of of of, of our tax dollars, right? But the, it doesn't exist, right? Like money's just fiction, I guess. Um, it depends on who you ask if the budget matters or not, right? <laughs> but this twenty three percent rule is really important, and it's something that. I didn't know about, but now I'm super passionate about because it, it does have such an impact on everyday small um, small businesses and regular Americans. This this would be huge. Yeah, and to that point, I think very often we've seen, honestly, a large association from some small business owners, a little bit more often on the right, um, which tends to be 
frankly, a little bit more often who small business owners are. 40% of small business owners are Republicans. Of that group, they really saw President Trump, former President Trump, um, as a real innovator on the subject of small business. And they cite that kind of reason of you know, reducing of regulation. But a lot of it is that not all regulations are created equal. And I would also bring mm. up the fact that, as you kind of pointed out, not all regulations are created equal. And then secondly, I'd bring up the fact that when you actually look at tax rates under Trump, uh, the corporate tax rate was reduced, which he talked about for large businesses. He, he reduced the corporate rate down to 21%. But what doesn't get talked about a lot is that when he flattened the corporate tax rate to 21%, this actually increased the taxes of small businesses that are making under $50,000 a year. Uh, yeah. This made it go up to the highest since the 19, like the mid-1970s. So this idea that Trump was just this big pro-small business guy is right. largely due to a lack of reporting on what his tax cuts actually did for small businesses. It wasn't a tax cut for small businesses. It was a tax raise. Um, and and so, the confusion uh, around what small business actually is. I think if you ask the average American what they would like, what they think, this would be another poll question. Like, what do you think is a small business? Most Americans would not say 500. Yeah. So, yeah. I would guarantee you most people would not. So they I would can honestly so it's believe just, most people would say it's 50. Dishonest. Yeah, it's totally dishonest like to be able to say, "Oh, I I lower taxes for small businesses, but they're like making 40 million because that's also in the definition, up to 40 million." Yeah, and you know, I, I definitely will say that there are going to be certain regulations that are not helpful for small businesses. As yeah. I said, it's not like a, a universal across the board that every regulation is going to be super helpful. We had noted one of them uh, before that we were not huge fans of, which is the ACA's rule on making sure that you can uh, provide health care mm -hmm. to your employees. Think about the notion of you're a business who wants to continue to grow and you have your 49th employee to bring right. in one additional employee means, OK, uh. now I have to give healthcare to every employee and bear that cost. And so what do you do? You stop growing a lot of the yep. times, unless it's significant growth to the point where you can suddenly cover that entire cost. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's like one example where it's like, we would love to kind of take that off people's plates uh, and be able mm -hmm. to kind of nationalize that. Um, and so I think that this case that all regulation is good is, is a little bit faulty in itself. And you have to think about it. Right. And you impose these, regulations on groups it's not exactly like this free process for a regulation to have any effect it needs to have enforcement you need people who are actually going to be mm -hmm. checking up on these things um and so i think that this is largely um a a case where we need to look at it more on a, a case by case regulation basis because this is definitely a thing that a lot of small business owners do have as a concern is a lot of these impediments are doing it because it feels very complicated for them. It's like, okay, do I know all the licenses that I need to be operating properly? Uh, do I know? It is all so intimidating. Yeah, there's. It, yeah. You, it almost feels like you need a degree or a certification in just that process to get it done, or you have to help. You have to hire someone, which costs money to help you do it too. Like a lot of times, 
people will have um, lawyers or tax people incorporate them or, you know, help them get started. And that costs money. You still, it's, there's so much learning curve to the whole thing. And, and it, it does take time and it costs all those licenses and permits, those cost money, you know? So it's just like constant, you know, it's a time that's the time tax and, um, and the bureaucracy, the red tape, the it's, it's, And to to bring a little bit of context of what the actual cost is to business, just in regulation in general, and I'm not saying eliminate this entire cost because there are certain regulations that are good to ensure safety standards are being met for employees and for the community and consumers, as well as that you're just like not completely screwing over your employees by underpaying them. Uh, There are certain laws that do need to be held into account. but This number will startle some of you. On average, according to the National Small Business Association, first year regulatory costs on average are $83,000. That's on average. So think about that for a moment of what that means for a lot of people. Obviously, this is going to vary. It's an average. And this is, can I make an generalization? Yeah. This is, I'm also going to make a generalization, but this is also why it's overwhelmingly like white men that are starting businesses too, is because if you think about who has $83,000 in their savings account, it's not like poor working people, (laughs) you know? Um, Yeah, it, it costs a lot to be a small business and you either go into debt or you get investor, you know? You have that money, but most Americans do not. Most Americans have like five thousand dollars in their savings account or something crazy like that. It's not yeah, much. Yeah, it is not. Which much. I think that also, I bet if you overlapped um, how much people have in savings and the creation of new small businesses since the seventies, I bet that those are very those are both overlapping downward trends. I know they are. Yeah. And, you know, some of this is is kind of going to be based off like what do we prioritize is worth having businesses require them to be reporting? Like, obviously, we want to have some respect for labor and we want to make sure that they're not being undercompensated and we want to make sure that businesses are not discriminating and that they're not doing unsafe practices. But I think a lot of some of the rules around state licensing and being able to take these across states and having it translate more often are things that we need to work on easing for a lot of small businesses. If they've obtained a license in one place, it should translate Mm. to a lot more than just that one place. Right. Um, We should work on trying to create more national standards for licensing so that people can kind of take this across state lines a lot easier. Um, Yeah. That goes back to what you were talking about yesterday. Um, about how we're almost stuck in the same place. It's very hard to be mobile as an American um, with like yeah. your your bills, your everything. It's like just uprooting is very hard. Yeah, it, it really is. And the bureaucracy and I, I, is a big part of it. Yeah, I, I think at this point that we've done a lot of the coverage of what like is the essential impediment to what um, – small businesses are facing it's very often that they're lacking cash flow they're having these somewhat burdensome regulations towards the beginning of their years 
and that they are struggling to compete with these large businesses because they're not getting proper support from the government that is supposed to be doing 23% towards small businesses. They're only doing 3%. And they're having their competitors, which are these large corporations, much more capably be able to do tax avoidance. Think about the notion of what you can build up over time as key functionalities of a business. At first, you need the first part of developing a business. Who makes your actual product or service? And maybe you need a little bit of back office support to be able to do your books um, and maybe a little bit of marketing. But over time, as you, again, build up more assets and have more cash on hand and have the ability to bring in more employees, you start getting these tax specialists. Mm -hmm. who start to come in as things that you can start to hire, which will help you to get all of these loopholes that you are desiring. As a small business, you don't have that person as a aid at the beginning, and mm -hmm. there are not nearly the same level of exemptions that your business can qualify for. I always think about this example. What small business is ever going to own a private jet? Mm. Ever. The one making 40 million. There are million. certainly large businesses that do, <laughs> that own private jets for their executives to travel around the country. And guess what? They get tax breaks because of that. Right. Um, so I, when I that's just an think, ecological oh, that's disaster and they should be getting penalized for it. I agree with you. So kind of in summation, those are kind of the key issues. And I think the, the summary of what we've talked about as things that can help is we need to be making these licenses be more like mobile, essentially. We need mm -hmm. to be having paid leave put into place. We need Medicare for all or just universal yes. health care that is not tied to your employment. Yep. We need a universal basic income. And we need the government to start enforcing the Small Business Act and actually put its money where its mouth is. You'll get all of these fucking politicians who will say, I respect small business. We need to mm -hmm. support them. And then they will do jack shit to actually do it. Yep. Uh, and we need and this law is on the books. The actual law, like actually yeah. just follow the law. Yep. And I, I think about this uh, in terms of the current administration's priorities. They had this idea of trying to increase the government's procurement in American businesses, mm -hmm. uh, this Buy American Act, and increasing what the the threshold is to be considered Buy American. They moved it from fifty one percent to seventy five percent. We need to have the same priority for small business. We need to be reducing the definition of what a small business is so it's an actual small business. And then we need the government to actually put its money where its mouth is and support the small businesses. Um, so yeah. is there anything that you wanted to add in there now that I've given this kind of summary of the issues that we've been seeing as well as some of the solutions we want to see done? Yeah, I, I would just close with um, um, a visualization a, a prayer for the future. Uh, close your eyes and imagine your local economy, those couple little closed down window shops, um, you know, filled with, with cute vintage clothes or a record shop. Um, I want you to think about food trucks and outdoor dining areas and little pop-up places. If we enforce the, the rule that's already on the books, the 23% rule where the government uses their um, incredible power of the purse to... They're the number one employ. procurer, not just in America, but the whole world. Yeah. So we have that power. And, and if, we, if we actually 
walk the walk instead of just saying paying lip service and saying that we care about small businesses if we actually enforce the 23% rule we would see an incredible renaissance of small business and local economies and we wouldn't be able to undo all the damage that Jeff Bezos and the Walton family have wrought on the, the the landscape of America, but we could definitely bring back a little something, something. We could make it magical again. We could have local community again and not just big box stores. It's, it's very true. Oh, and I just realized one other uh, recommendation that we had. We were talking about the Small Business uh, Administration basically being underfunded over time. I recall uh, in our interview with Lloyd Chapman, he basically called it, quote unquote, functionally closed. Um, and so just supporting the Small Business Administration, which has had its budget cut over and over, is another thing that we would recommend probably to have done um, to be able to support the small business community so that the administration actually operates on their behalf. Yeah. Like you they basically said that all the administration staff has been largely uh, removed. So it's not like they yeah. have the people. Uh, yeah, it's just an empty well. building. It, it kind of reminds me of when Yang was talking about um, the the technology department of technology being disbanded yeah. essentially. That's what we do. The, the, the departments that are actually for the people, we, we, de we defund, we defang, we declaw, like they uh, functionally don't have any power. And that's how they have gotten away with just essentially buying our government lock, stock and barrel. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, Jackie. So I think that's going to do it for us. Universal <laughs> On people. that happy note. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't get too doomed. There are solutions. We talk about there the is the twenty-three percent rule. If we visualize it, if we if we make and not just that, but we actually like call our representatives. We sign some petitions. We, you know, we talk to our local representatives. We run ourselves. You know. The, the, they want us to give up. They want us to feel defeated. They want us to to be broken so that they just keep getting away with, you know, um, what they're getting away with. But that's that's when they win. So you we can't give up. We have to keep doing stuff. And it might not feel, you know, in in the immediate time frame like that much is happening. But I promise, like stuff has been, is, will change. It's but we we can't ever stay silent we always have to keep pushing mm, i i definitely agree with you on that it's it's going to take pressure because this is something that we get a lot of lip service on but we need to start getting action and tangibles you can't just say yes i support small business cuz constantly the only way that we ever hear people talk about, oh, I support small businesses, they just want to do tax cuts and deregulation. Mm -hmm. But there is so much more that they need assistance with uh, that goes beyond that. You can't just leave them out on their yep. own to survive. Uh, we need to actually provide the support that balances the playing field a bit. And we didn't even go into things like there's so much more we could go into, like antitrust laws and trying to make sure oh. that these big businesses aren't growing too large. But 
Uh, yep. We will yeah. be doing more content on small business in the future. And so we hope you'll come back around. If you enjoyed today's episode, Universal People, we hope you make sure that you've subscribed, that you've liked or rated this podcast, and that you'll join us on Discord to help organize for the Universal Basics. So check the yep. description section to find us. Um, but next week, because we're in a month doing both small business and labor, next week we're going to start to discuss labor issues. Yeah, uh, so we hope you can't have one without the well. other. Yep. Yeah, they are very much intertwined. We talked about that uh, relationship about uh, the compensation ratio between CEOs yep. and labor and how that's related to the reduction in competition they've faced from small businesses. They are definitely intertwined. Yep. Um, so that being said, I want to thank you all for listening today and supporting the home of the Universal Basics. Uh, we hope to see you next week, our Universal people. Thank you. Peace out. Uh, we hope to see you next week, our Universal people.